Hi everyone, this is Jess Baker and welcome to Behind the Sunnies, a champion golfer. Hi everyone and welcome back to the podcast. Um, I'm very excited this week to be joined by my dad and my caddy Steve Baker. Um, He's obviously been on the bag with me for um, most of the big events that I've played in and has obviously been a pivotal role in my career so far. So I'm very excited to have him on the podcast. Good evening. <laughs> this is oh, a bit weird. Very we've, never, weird. Very weird. we've never really done an, like a thing like this before, so it's a bit cringe at the beginning, but we're getting there. So um, I basically want this episode to be a conversation of our experiences um, of the year, and I think it's good to have two people that have been through that unique experience, but also... Um, I've experienced a lot in my golf golfing life so far that you've been a massive part of. So I think it's good to be able to see both sides of that perspective. Well, any success obviously is all down to the caddy. You know that. Mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, let's start at the beginning then. So I obviously got into golf because of you and Granny and that whole um, situation at the beginning um, when I was like ten. Um, I mean, technically, I kind of started when I was like five or something, didn't I? I don't really remember. Yeah, I've, I've got I've got some videos of you at the driving range when you were really really tiny, um, wearing some horrendous outfits, not really quite golfing attire, but uh, yeah, they, they, they're like anyone takes as a little child, I guess. And uh, yeah, I suppose it was ten when you started getting a bit more serious. Yeah. Um... Because I, I remember joining the club, um, and as I've spoken about before, I think I was I was definitely the only girl that had joined at the time, and um, obviously Cameron, my brother, was was there. But I always found it quite awkward to be a ten year old with a lot of older boys. Um, but I feel like it was difficult at the time. But um, I I kind of like didn't really pay that much attention to it and just sort of played golf on the thir- we had a Thursday competition at the club. Um, and so I guess it was just a case of just going out and playing golf. Yeah, I think it's it's hard for any young girl when when you are the only one. Uh, thankfully, I think there's a lot more girls playing now, which is fantastic. But um, I think in the end, your golf did the talking. And I think uh, because you started beating them all, they sort of uh, sat up and uh, and had to look and listen. But uh, yeah, I think it was tough for you at the beginning, but you stuck through it, you know? Yeah. And how would you say that your role was pivotal in that because I think a lot of people might be interested in the sport or wanting to try it but um like what's the what's the role of a father do you think in that situation well I think that uh, any child should be trying as many sports as they possibly can whether that's tiddlywinks or golf or horse riding whatever it is and uh you know if your child finds a sport that they enjoy then that's fantastic if they find a sport that they enjoy and they happen to be quite good at well then that's just uh that's just phenomenal. Um, you can't go out to do that. And I just think encouragement. I look back and um, I think, you know, when when you were young, yes, I had to sort of try and persuade you sometimes to go to the driving range or or to do some practice. But then after a while, I took a back step and I knew that you were serious because you were the one wanting to go and do the practice. And I think parents have to be careful not to push too hard on, on the forcing barrier because you got to encourage and, and try and help the, the child on the journey. But ultimately child is the one that's going to determine if they want to practice if you don't want to do it there's no point in forcing someone to do it Mm -hmm. and I think it's quite a it's quite a fine line between being pushy and being supportive um and I I see it in some cases that I've I've seen in girls and stuff and it's like the dad or the parent wants to 
sort of live the dream for the girl or the boy that started playing um and so i don't know i guess it's just a case of experience and sort of ultimately comes from the the player themselves yeah it is and it's not just golf you, you know you get a lot of boys and girls doing football now and, and they get selected for academies and 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 yeah sometimes the parents maybe do get carried away and i possibly got carried away a little bit at the beginning too and you have to step back and, and just take a, a back seat and, and help and encourage but you just certainly can't force and and make sure it's everything the child wants to do i will say though i think it's it's easily skewed in the way that a pushy parent might be the fact that you know they're 100 percent in and the and the child is not 100 percent in but i feel like there were times when you i don't want to say you made me go and practice but you heavily encouraged me to go and practice when i didn't want to and ultimately having those practice sessions when i didn't want to go and do it was probably the most well i wouldn't say productive but you know what i mean like it kind of got me understand to understand why you have to go and do that when you don't want to do it if you know what i mean yeah you said it yourself that there's no right and wrong answer it's a very very fine line i just think from a parent's perspective you need to sometimes just step back and, and question yourself about what you're doing and how you're doing it um i say there's no right and wrong answer though mm -hmm. okay so um i want to move on to the win at the british um it was obviously a very um close-knit relationship i guess throughout that whole week um but what was your experience of it because i've obviously got mine um and i think we can both say that there were times when we didn't um gel so well or i don't know we were kind of going through this whole different experience that none of us neither of us had had before with cameras and with crowds and stuff how was your experience of that um i guess before the final and then we can talk about the final afterwards Okay, well, I think it's the first time I'd really carried for you in a, in, a, in a big major tournament. And if you remember at the time, I saw my role as uh, getting a happy tune in your head about keeping you positive. Um, I didn't get involved in any club selection. That wasn't my role. I talked about the wind. I talked about where the pin was and, and just tried to keep you happy and chatty. And, and I, I let you do the, uh, do the rest. Um, and I think as, as the tournament progressed and, and, you know, as you kept, you know, playing this amazing golf, um, I, I got more involved and I think when we got on to, you know, playing in some of these professional events that we've done um, and, and more recently when we're away at the, at the US Open and the US Amateur in August, I actually started to get involved in shot selection and advice to you and that was partly how I grew in confidence, but I didn't want to upset you because I know what it's like when I upset you and it's not a pretty place. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's hard, though, because the more that I got into those major events and the more that I saw professional caddies doing what I would expect them to do, not not saying that you were doing it wrong, but it's a different level, as you know. And I think um, when I got to that stage, I maybe got a bit, like, insecure about that. And, um, and maybe that's why there was a bit of a different role because I think the reason why we worked so well together and the reason why I played so well at the British was because of that boundary. And I think sometimes we crossed that, which might have led to some interesting performances to well, say the least. Yeah. Well, some, you know, there's, there's always a crossword that's going to, that's bound to happen. I think caddying at the British was different because it was an amateur event. So the role of the caddy is very different from what it's like when you're participating in a professional event. Um, you know, when we went to professional events, one of the one of the first things I had to learn was how you rake a bunker properly. I mean, I know how to rake a bunker, but can you do it, you know, to uh, to professional levels? And I had to get a course in that, if you recall. Um, 
and 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 it is the, the role that carries very different and and you have to make sure you behave and i'm there to support you and help you and get your tea times and, and get the pin sheets and all that sort of stuff mm -hmm. so when we we're at the british that kind of wasn't there and for me my role at the british was just keeping you in in a good head place headspace and and, and being positive yeah it was, it was funny you say that bunker thing because i remember that that was at the avion which was my first exemption and uh, we got one of the local pros to come around and walk the course with me um you know for some advice and he said to you on it was one of the starting holes and he was like do you know how to rake a bunker and you're like yeah and then he said well do it and then you did it and he was like no that's not right and then yeah, he said yeah. if you do it wrong you'll get 150 euro fine or something and then you start pulling yeah. your pants <laughs> yeah yeah it's all in the flick of the wrist about getting the sand <laughs> smooth so i'm a i'm a professional bunker raker now that, that's uh, that's for sure um, yeah yeah so that was something i definitely learned about being a caddy one of the many things yeah and then there's the thing with the pin as well because that wasn't even something that i had realized until you you had a conversation about it and you don't notice it on the tv or anything but there's like the rule of who holds the pin based on who's closest to the hole isn't there yeah well i i, I learned so much about uh, about the process and the protocols um and uh i mean if you remember when we were at avion um we were waiting to get the buggy to take us to the the first tee because you were playing off the 10th and uh, I thought I had it all sorted and, and the guy running, driving the buggy never turned up. Uh, and eventually lots of apologies in French and we got whisked up there. And literally you had to run, if you remember, up the mm -hmm. fairway onto the tee. We got there with two minutes to spare. It was highly embarrassing. Um, and then you were the only one to hit your ball down the middle of the fairway because the other two weren't in the trees. And, uh, mm -hmm. and guess, guess who got the blame for being late? <laughs> nothing, to do with me. Me, but, nothing to do with me, but I took it on the chin. As you should. <laughs> um, okay, so um, I want to know what your favourite experience over the whole year of exemptions that we've had together has been. Oh, wow, okay. Um, well, I mean, obviously seeing you win was something special, and I think let's bypass that because I think any parent uh, would, would understand that. Um, experience, I think when you played at the the AIG Women's Open at Muirfield. If you remember, we were speaking with Laura Davies before we went through the tunnel um, onto the first tee. And there was what I can only describe as an army of supporters from, uh, you know, Northumberland and, and, and Newcastle and where we are. And like one side of the stand was full and you got this mm -hmm. amazing cheer when you walked through and, 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 and the hair on my back and my neck stood up and it was just, wow. And, and if you remember, you got a bigger cheer than Laura Davies did. I think she was a bit put out, you know? Um, so yeah, that, that, was, that was something really special. And I think when, when you played at the, uh, the 150th event at St. Andrews and you teed off with Colin Morikawa and Anna Nordquist and there was about, what, 8,000 people there and live TV cameras and, um, you know, seeing you nail that down the middle, that was, that was something, something really exciting. But I have to admit, as a highlight, you may not remember, and I'm going to have to be a bit honest here and, and, and cough something to you. When you played in the Canadian Open, do you remember there was a lady called Emma Talley, who was a really, really uh, fantastic, nice uh, American lady who got a hole in one. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and obviously being with someone at an LPGA event who got a hole in one was something exceptional. And it was lots of high fives on the tee and it was, it was phenomenal. And if you remember, the lady before her had put it to within two feet. So the crowd was very much wound up. And then I thought, oh, no, you've now got to hit. And it's got to be the hardest shot in golf because everyone was having seen two amazing shots. And here comes the amateur next. And my admission to you is that you hit the ball and you hit a really good shot. But it was about 30 feet short of the pin. Mm -hmm. And you turned to me and said, I can't believe my seven iron only went to there. It should have gone pin high. 
And that's when I realized that actually I'd handed you an eight iron. Um, yeah. Which is why it didn't, it didn't quite come off. And I felt awful up until the point when you sunk the 30 foot pot to walk away with a birdie and the crowd went, then went mad. So that's mm -hmm. my big apology to you. And that's, uh, that's a lesson I learned along the way. Yeah, I, st I still vividly remember that. And it's, um, it's a note I keep in the back of my head, uh, just to let you know. But I, I think we have had <laughs> experiences as well. I remember it um, in the practice round for the US Open, we were in the second hole at Pebble Beach and we we're working out um, the yardages because there's some, there's some tournaments where you're allowed to use a bushnel and there's others where you have to use the course guide. And on the second hole, I was looking at where my layup spot was going to be um, if I missed the fairway. Um, which is par five and anyway so we were like discussing how far I would have to the pin from this particular yardage and um, and you said okay it's 130 to the front and it's you know 135 to the pin or whatever and um, I hit this pitching wedge like flew through the back of the green like it was all over the pin and it flew over the back of the green and I'm like what's happened there and then I go and have a look at the numbers and you've given me a 20 yard extra uh, a pin sheet which is c completely just the wrong number um so from yeah, from then on for the rest of the tournament i i ended up doing the mental maths myself it was a practice round it didn't matter and actually <laughs> i have another bone to pick with you because oh, yes. the exact same thing happened to avion if you recall because you okay maybe this is partly my fault as well but i think we both had an assumption that the pros don't use brushmills and so we got to Avion, we'd done the practice round, you know, working out the, the yards and having to convert metres to yards as well, being in France. And so we've done all this mental maths. We get to the first tee or, you know, we'd start playing the first few holes and then I'm playing with Pauline Roussan and she, her caddy brings out a bushnel and I turn and look at you and I'm just standing there with my hands on my hips and I'm like, is that illegal? And then you're like, I don't know. And then you ask the caddy and he's like, no, you're allowed bushnels. And I'm stood there without my bushnel and we're having yeah. to go and play 18 holes in a major when I could have had my bushnel. So yeah. actually I'm going to put that one on you because you should have read the, the T's and C's. Yes, I should have. You see the caddy always gets to blame, but if I recall, I think we worked it out pretty well. But no, listen, in all seriousness, well, apologies for that, I guess. But in all seriousness, that's just about, you asked me a question um, at Pebble Beach on our penultimate hole when you know, you, 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 you'd, you'd, uh, you'd missed out the cut. And we were, we were standing waiting um, for the uh, for the fairway to clear. And do you remember what you said to me no. on the eighth hole? You said mm. to me, Dad, do you think if I'd had a professional caddy, I would have done a lot better? <laughs> Whoops. And, and in all honesty, we know we had that conversation. And my answer to you was, yeah. But I think, you know, what started when, when, when we did the British together and we've had this amazing experience um, over the past um, 15, 16 months, um, I'm not a professional caddy. I've learned a lot. I think there's some things I've done really well. Some things, as we've clearly underlined, maybe I didn't do so well. Um, but I think we've had an awful lot of fun in the process. And we, we've, we've done something very unique, very special, which an awful lot of people will never get the opportunity to, to do. And I think, you know, when you turn pro next year, um, I'm not doing it for you. You're going to get a professional caddy. You know, that's mm -hmm. what it really counts. And, and I just think, uh, yeah, there's been mistakes along the way, but we, we've done something amazing and we've learned a lot about each other, and a lot about ourselves, and that's something that's, no one can take away from you. Um, I'm not a professional. I tried my best, um, but then it's learning, isn't it? And, and as I say, it's just been a, a phenomenal journey.
Yeah, but I would say as well, like, I wouldn't want to have done it any differently because I have had questions in the past about, um, you know, if you were cutting for me, why you were or you weren't cutting for me because we had an exception at Augusta, um, which we can get onto. But I think looking back on it, having done all the exemptions now, I wouldn't have changed it. And, yeah, we can say I probably would have done a bit better or I might have made the cut here or there. But I think ultimately I'm going to you know, one day retire from golf and I'm going to look back at the year that I was amateur champion and I'll have the memories with you. Uh, it's a bit yeah, emotional. No, no, I mean, but I, yeah. right. but I, I will claim, you know, you, you had a bit of go at your caddy there for, for making some mistakes. Uh, the caddy is actually going to go through something back at you and I'm going to I'm going to talk about the 17th hole in your second round at Pebble Beach in the US Open. So let me paint the scene here. For people that don't know the uh, the 17th at Pebble, it's, it's a par three. I think it was playing at about 186. Uh, there was a fairly stiff wind behind us. Um, it's laced with bunkers in front of the pin and the sea is at the back of the of, of the green. And there was about 100 odd people watching TV cameras, you name it. So Jess goes up and uh, we have a little chat and we decide on a seven iron given the wind conditions. Uh, and Jess always says to me, never, ever interrupt me. Is this not right, Jess? Never interrupt me when I've started my pre-shot uh, routine or when I'm on the green doing my putting. Would that be correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm stood there and you start your routine off and this wind's um, going and then all of a sudden out of the blue, the wind just stops. Um, and I thought, what do I do here? Because a seven iron isn't going to get you to the green. And I had about two and a half seconds to decide, do I let you just go and not upset you or do I intervene? So I put my hands in the air and said, Jess, very loudly, because everyone looks at me and you came over <laughs> with a, a face like thunder. And I said to you, I'm really, really sorry. I know you don't like to be interrupted, but you've got the wrong club. I said, the wind has stopped. You need a six iron. And you said to me, are you 100% sure? And with the biggest smile and most confident face I could say, I said, I'm 100% sure. And I just kept everything, everything crossed as I handed you that six iron club. And uh, you hit the shot and, and, and it landed, what, about six, 10 feet from the pin, whatever it was. Big rounds of applause. And I remember the scorer who was following us came over to me and just said, Good job, Caddy. And I thought, <laughs> yeah. So the Caddy's going to throw it back a little bit, yeah. But he did do some. He did do some good things as well. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give credit to you for that. And that was one <laughs> of the um, one of the Q and A questions I had was, um, has there ever been a time where you were you spoke at the wrong time and was he, were you right to do it? And the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, I've got another example though. I've got another example. Do you remember in the semi final at the British when you were playing Hannah Darling? And I think Hannah was ranked I think, something like ninth or twelfth in the world. And um, do you remember? Do you remember the par five? I think it was the eleventh hole. Um, uh, yeah, I will still go down and say that this is the greatest shot I've ever hit. H Hannah, Hannah, Hannah got on the green in two with two fantastic shots, and we were talking about. I think you had something like two hundred and twenty yards into a par five uh, for your second shot, and uh, it was blowing a really stiff breeze. And you said to me what club and as i said before i do i wouldn't normally get involved and i said it's got to be a three wood with that wind and you said that's too big and i went really so you said what am i going to hit and i said well your next club down is your rescue club no no i don't want to hit that i'm going to hit my four iron and i said no you're not i said four iron's not going to get there he said yes i'm going to do my four iron stinger shot remember Mm -hmm. and, and, and I said, no, you're not. I said, you don't know how to do a four-iron stinger shot. And there was a camera standing right behind us, and there was lots of people. And it got a bit of a, a Chuckleboro Brothers moment, didn't it? To me, to you, to, <laughs> me, to you. And eventually, you know, I said, well, you're the boss. If you really want to hit your four-iron, then you hit your four-iron. Um, you weren't going to be uh, told otherwise. And you hit the four-iron, and as you hinted there, 
it was it was quite some shot. I think you landed ten feet from the hole and you sunk it for a an eagle. She put in a birdie putt and you won the hole. So yeah. um, I'll always go as the, from the caddy's perspective, the player is always right, um, mm-hmm. and I won't uh, I won't argue with that. And uh, he showed me up on that one. That's for sure. Yeah, well, I think it's it's interesting though because when when I'm playing really good, it feels very easy. Well, I say that it feels very easy to make those decisions, and it it felt so much based on feel on that tournament week. And then you kind of relate it to something like Pebble Beach, where I'm completely out of my depth and out of my well, felt like I was out of my depth and out of my comfort zone. Um, and I suppose that's the time when I relied on you the most was during those like pressure moments or, you know, when I felt really nervous and I didn't really know how to handle myself. I felt yeah. like um, that that was when you were most useful. <laughs> Bless you. Yes, thank you. I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. Um, but I think there are, there are times when maybe you've said stuff to me in, in, in anger of the bad shot you might not have said had it been a caddy. Um, and the stuff that we maybe uh you know discussed that you wouldn't have done the same way had it not been with your dad type thing so i think it swings and roundabouts that mm-hmm. you know it's never going to be perfect i think we've had the odd little fallout but they really have been few and far between and most of the time we've had a blast together um we have had fun and uh i think we've both learned an awful lot along the way you know yeah and it's it's like i said earlier i, I wouldn't want to have um you know, not had the experience with you because I just felt like it, like I've said in, in the podcast as well, like golf has always been such a family thing and I I wouldn't, yeah, I just wouldn't have wanted to have somebody that I didn't know come and travel with me and like you wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to look back on these experiences we've had and be able to even have this episode because there wouldn't be enough to talk about, if you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, but then there, there are some, there are some kids out there who maybe don't want their parents or some parents who don't feel something they can do. Um, and, and, and again, I can't answer those those points. It's just, I say, it worked for us. Um, we've had a blast. And, and uh, whilst, as I say, you know, I won't be on the professional circuit, I'm always available. Although I, I'll have to do a bit more of a deal with you on tips because the tips have been rubbish up to now. So we'll have to come to a, a central cent agreement or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, valid. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so one of the questions that um, I had... Um, through social media, obviously, you put out a thing um, on Instagram and Facebook and stuff um, about Q&A questions. And one of the ones that we had was, what are the potential pitfalls from a mindset perspective with expectations um, and kind of dealing with those thoughts? So I had a few ideas and then we can kind of discuss it. But okay. I think yeah. um, one of the first things that I thought of was that with the generation that we're in, like social media is such a big part of it and um you know you kind of you see so so many different things on social media and most of the time not none of it's really true um so i think it goes hand in hand with the the fact that there's a player but there's also the parent that might put that internal or external pressure on um the player to perform and that's kind of what we're referring to before about um the the parent maybe wanting to live out the dream um through the child so um there's always going to be expectation there and i think the the more that you get involved in the sport and the more you play and you practice it's only natural to expect more of yourself because you put all the time and and effort into it you wouldn't want to do all of that and then feel like you're gonna play bad like you you have to have that expectation so um there's there's that side of it um but then there's also the side of um you know not expecting enough of yourself i think i've i've had times of of that where um i suppose relating it to the majors like i literally just went there for experience and um maybe if i'd have taken a different attitude or a different approach in terms of expectation um maybe i would have performed differently but um 
yeah, I don't know. What, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, expectations are a hard thing because, you know, in, in, in your situation, you, you got to play literally against the very best players uh, in the world on the biggest stage in the world. And um, you're turning up as a young amateur, um, almost expecting to do well. And, and you did do well. And whilst, you know, there were, there were tournaments where, you know, you think back to Muirfield, you got yourself in too many bunkers. And a lot of the time, I think the strategy for playing the course was wrong. It wasn't necessarily the golf, but, but you learn from that. And I think if we changed our expectation as to what we thought, because you'd hoped you'd make the cut, um, but the chance of making the cut was rather slim. And then you put a lot of pressure on yourself when it got near the point that you weren't going to make the cut and so on. So uh, I think from the, the, the practical perspective, uh, yeah, you do need to, to rally your expectations, but we were doing something very unique, as I say, playing in these big professional events. Um, I, I do think, you know, the enjoyment factor has to be up there, up to a point that, you know, most people aren't going to get so serious about the golf, they're not going to enjoy it. And if you cease to enjoy it, for me, there's little point in doing it. But you mentioned social media, and I do think it has a, a big role to play. And I do think from a parent's perspective, you've got to be careful because, um, you know, we're all guilty about putting stuff on there and we're proud of our children and all the rest of it. But you do have to be careful. You don't create a pressure or an expectation um, that everyone else thinks. And the child, if they don't perform to what the parent has sort of uh, put them up to, that that child then starts to feel that they're not good enough and and, and, and that can go down a, a vicious cycle for me. So, yeah, it's a really hard one. Um, I think it's easy to say don't have great expectations, but if you're really good at a sport, you want to do well and you want to challenge yourself and you want to push yourself. Um, but having the right expectations is, is something I think you always need to keep at the back of your head, whether you are a, a young up-and-coming golfer or whether you're the parent. Yeah, and I'd say from a player's perspective as well, the older that I've gotten and the more that I've experienced dealing with expectations, I feel like when I'm playing my best, the expectation is there, but it's not something that's a distraction to me. And I think when it kind of crosses that boundary is when you get issues and when you start hitting bad shots and getting more in the downward spiral. Um, so I think for me, everything comes down to the process of everyday life. And if you can do that as well as you can you can practice smart and practice well practice hard and then when you get to the tournament you prepare well you prepare smart um you know you, you do everything that you can do and then ultimately it's just down to down to execution um and i think as as for as long as possible if you can avoid those um downward spirals of expectation um you're saving yourself the energy first of all and then just the mental um focusing of it i guess for me here's a story maybe to back up what you said there um i'm going to take you back to the second round of the chevron tournament if you remember when we played at houston we played with a young american girl do you know she's only 16 or something do you remember what her name was oh she's older than 16 she's lucy she? lee yeah. lucy, how, how old's lucy uh, well, she was young, younger than me, maybe, 19. All right, okay. Oh, 19, okay, I thought, I thought she was a bit younger than that. Okay, so um, if you remember on the first hole, there was a big fairway bunker. It was a long par four, and uh, she went in the bunker, and then you followed her, and so your two balls were very close to each other. She went first and uh, hit this amazing shot to within 12 feet, and it must have, must have been about 180 yards to the pin from this bunker. And uh, I went to grab the rake off her caddy, and her caddy turned to me and said, if your player puts the ball inside mine, I'll rake the bunker for you. And you talk about expectations, because I thought that's a hell of a challenge, you know, in, in playing a major. And I didn't say anything to you, because uh, my expectation was um, not a chance. You know, we're going to get 30 yards out of this, down the middle of the fairway, and hopefully we do it. And you know what's coming next, because you put the ball about six feet from the pin. 
Um, you then, of course, missed the birdie putt, but we won't talk about <laughs> that one. Um, but I think the expectation, if you if you had an expectation, I'd say to you, look, we've been given this challenge as a team. Can you do it? Your, your, your stress level would have just gone through the roof and you would never have pulled off what you pulled off. Mm-hmm. And sometimes by not worrying about the external factors too much, as you say, going through your routine and focusing on the, on the task in hand, um, for anyone up and coming, people have got to get used to, or young kids have got to get used to playing in front of people and playing in pressurized situation and trying to remain in the moment and just going through your process and ignoring. I know it's easy to say because we all feel well, guilty of, of, of getting caught up in things, but focusing yourself to just think about what's happening there and then. So you, all you did was you played an amazing golf shot. If you'd known about the other thing, I bet you wouldn't have done. And it's just about <laughs> keeping, keeping everything in perspective, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, another question that we had was um, filling in time between rounds, and maybe if you're leading a tournament, do you go and you know do you check leaderboards? Do you go on your phone? Um, kind of, what's the deal with that? And I would say for me, um, it's virtually impossible to do that. Um, there's leaderboards everywhere. You know, people coming back to social media, it, it goes everywhere, and there's no point in denying that. And so, um, again, I think if you try and avoid it and you try and not think about it, the amount of energy and time that you're spending on trying not to think about it, you might as well just look at it. So um, I think for me, if you can get to grips with the fact that you are going to see it and, you know, whether you've played really well, you've played really badly, you're still going to have to look at it at the end of the day. Um, and I'd say for me, you use your phone every single day. Um and there are obviously long periods in between rounds, and that's one of the challenges of golf, I think, is doing that over four days straight and maybe having to, to go to bed with a, a lead. Um, but if you if you exclude a tournament day and make that special, in quotation marks, you're, you're changing everything that you do in your daily routine because of a, a tournament day. And I think that's the worst thing you can do is because you then put that on a pedestal and then you go to a tournament and you think, oh, I can't look at my phone, can't do this, can't do that. That's just so much more wasted energy and distraction um, where, you know, if you felt comfortable in your environment and you just went about your daily business, there's no reason why um, that shouldn't be the case. Um, And then I think just to not emotionally attach to a leaderboard, that's something that I actually find difficult to do now. It's probably going to be a a difficult thing to deal with as a tone pro as well. But um, golf is so much based on comparison. It's all about being other people and... um, and, you know, it takes time to feel comfortable with that. And um, I just think if you if you spend so much time and energy looking at that and comparing yourself to others, think about where you could have put yourself in a headspace of, um, you know, getting around it. I know that we've had a lot of times back in a hotel room where it's been tears and I've not wanted to go out the next day, but somehow... I gather myself and we have a conversation and I ended up playing really well the next day. Um, but if I'd have wasted that energy on, well, I suppose I did. I have had experiences where I wasted a lot of energy on that, but um, I suppose so you have to go through that to learn. Here's a question for you then um, on what you just said. How did you feel and how did you deal with leaderboards and social media when you got through to the final of the British? Because mm. it was a long, we had 36 holes, um, you know, it was an exhausting day. Everyone's on a high. So how did you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, I think for me with the British, it was just that everything was a bonus. And um, as soon as, because we always said at the beginning of the tournament, make the cut and I'm winning. Um, 
and even after the first round I was upset because I was missing the cut and then um you know pulled it back made the cut and then I just felt like from then on like everything was a bonus and I was the underdog in every match and I genuinely had no expectations um it's interesting that we come back to that again but um I think the social media side of it was like I don't know, because I suppose I can view it from two sides. It was like, it was a really cool experience, like never had that much attention around me. Um, you know, people were asking me for interviews and like all of that stuff was, was quite new. But at the same time, it was like I had the belief in myself and I had that quiet confidence that whoever I was going to play next, I genuinely knew that I could beat. And that's quite a hard feeling to replica replicate. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it didn't consume that much of my energy um i was obviously aware of it you can't deny the cameras are there and um george who does the commentary and stuff like you, you can't escape that but that's something i enjoy it's part of my personality i remember iona um uh, walking down one of the holes with me and we were talking about my sunglasses and i actually really enjoyed that because it it took my brain away from the shot that I was about to hit or the score or whatever was happening in the match. Um, and I think that's what we did really well throughout the whole week was, as you say, you know, get a song in my head or just have positive thoughts. So I think it's just the way that you view it for me. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I agree with that. I think the phone one's interesting. And I suppose, you know, you, you sometimes, or you, you regularly, when you're playing, have your phone in your pocket. And I kind of think, well, why have you got that there? You can't call someone on the course. And I think it's just something, a generational thing. You know, mine would go in the bag and it gets turned off and you don't look at it. But, uh, yeah, I see a lot of young young kids uh, going around with their phones on them all the time and you think you can't use it on a golf course, so why have you got it with you? Mm. It's just an added distraction. But yeah. I, I think it's, it's a balance as well because, you know, when you're 15, 16, your phone is a lot of your social life. So you can't take that away from somebody as well. But... Um... Don't stop that. I'll sound like a grumpy old man, so let's not talk about <laughs> golf. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, moving on. Um, have you got any tips or advice um, for, I don't know, somebody that might be in your position or, you know, caddying in four majors, um, anything like that? Um, well, anyone who gets involved in that, uh, it's an amazing experience. I think playing at the level of tournament that we've had the fortune to play at, um, having been inside the ropes, it would be, or it will be very difficult going to events in the future when you're, you're outside the ropes. Um, because, uh, you know, we're at St Andrews and we're sitting having lunch next to Cameron Smith and Adam Scott, and then you pop over and say hello to JT, and it's just so surreal. Um, and, and it's the same on, with, with the best women in the world, and we've been at those tournaments, and, and you know, Nelly Quarters next or behind me in the in the queue to get my lunch, and it's it's just surreal. So if you get the opportunity to, you know, to entertain any of these, what I what I've learned and advice I give all these top professionals is, um, you have a, a view of them that you get from the TV, and deep down they're just normal people who just are exceptionally good at what they do, um, but they all make mistakes, and we saw that, didn't we, at the practice rounds? We won't name mm -hmm. the people we played with, but. Some of the top players in the world who we did a practice round with, they were awful in the practice round. But then if they make a mistake, they're so good at, uh, at recovery. And nine out of ten times, they'll pull it off. And I think that's, that's the, real, the real difference, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but I think as the caddy, you've got, to, you've got to not just learn how to rake a bunker and what to do with a flag, but most importantly, you've got to learn when to talk and when not to talk. And if you're going to say something, you've got to say the right thing. And sometimes not saying anything is the right thing. 
and 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 I kind of I try to learn that as 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 we've gone along, and that, that's that's a real a real challenge sometimes, you know, um, trying to support. Um, and I think something goes the same for parents who've got young kids who are you know getting very good and playing in tournaments and doing rather well. Sometimes, yes, you've got to give the encouraging uh, role. And um, I always remember hearing um, who was it now? Top golfer, I can't remember. Um, and the first thing her father would say to her when she came off the course was, uh, "I love you. I'm proud of you." and would never mention the round of golf until the, the girl did. And I mm -hmm. think there's something, there's something in that, that uh, just take the step back, whether you're the caddy, whether you're the parent, and, and uh, don't sort of, we used to talk about what was your best shot of the round, wasn't it? First mm -hmm. thing we used to say to each other after you played in a tournament when you were, you know, 11, 12, 13, what was your best shot? And I look back and think, why did I do that? I just, you know, <laughs> did, you have, did you have fun? That's all that matters, mm -hmm. did you have fun? Um, and then if you want to tell me about the best shot, you hit what well, we can do in due course. But I just think you've got to get your priorities right around the fun uh, and not putting the pressure and kind of what we discussed before. So, yeah, to answer your question, if you get the opportunity, do it. There's lots to learn, which I'm not going to possibly say I've sussed at all. Um, uh, it, it is kind of nice. You know, we've been to some events and, uh, you know, I was watching Alison Corp, who's on, on the, uh, playing in the uh, Solheim Cup today. And I remember, you know, we, we passed her at, uh, at Pebble Beach. and We're good uh, friends with her. Yeah, and she said, hello, Mr. Baker, how are you? And because uh, we, we've done a practice round with her and it's just, it's just surreal, but they're just normal people who are lovely. Um, and the persona you maybe see on the course uh, isn't really what they're like uh, in, uh, in reality, you know. But mm -hmm. uh, no, if you get the opportunity, take it. And, and I feel very blessed and very privileged and, and it's been a most amazing year. And something else I actually wanted to ask you was, um, I mentioned that you caddied in four of the majors, but there was one tournament you didn't caddy in, which was the Augusta National Women's Amateur. Um, yeah, I got a local I'm caddy. Bitter. I'm not. I'm not bitter about that at all. Yeah. Okay. Um, so <laughs> I obviously got a local caddy. Um, we had a conversation about it just because Augusta felt like one of those places where. I felt like I needed a bit more local knowledge um, and I really wanted to make the cut there. I obviously had the best chance being against my peers, but I wanted to know what your experience was of me having someone else caddy for me. And you mentioned, um, you know, in a Tim Pro next year that that's going to be more of the norm. Um, but what was that like, um, you know, being, I suppose being at Augusta in general, but then um, being outside the ropes as well when you're so used to being next to me? Yeah, yeah. So it, it was it was rather surreal. I mean, Charles, who carried for you, uh, the most lovely man, and I think he did you a fantastic job. And like, you only missed by a couple of shots, didn't you? Uh, mm -hmm. And that was all down to a dodgy bunker you got stuck in. But golf yeah. ball is about the what ifs, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I, I, th I think I think Charles made a big impact to you, and I thought he gave you advice that I couldn't have given because he knew that course and he you know he, he knew the ins and outs of it. Um, so yeah, it was a little bit hard, but I just think I've got to get used to it. I just think I've had the most amazing opportunity, which very few people and certainly very few parents get the opportunity to to enjoy and to experience with with their children. And, and I've done that. And so yes, it will be tough, but I've got the memories. And as I say, if ever if ever you get stuck, I'm always on the phone. And as I say, once once we discuss my fee, I'm happy to come back and uh, and, and and reconsider picking up the bag for you. So um, you know, being at Augusta was just it, it was an amazing experience when you when you see these holes that you've watched on television, and all of a sudden you're there. And not only are you there, but I'm watching you play. And do you remember when you came into Amen Corner and you you stuck this amazing second shot uh, on the uh, on the eleventh, and you got your par, and then you. You got on the uh, the green on the twelfth, and you made your par. And then I just thought, wow, this this is just a dream. Mm -hmm. um, so it was hard because um, I love being involved, I love helping, but I have a role, and and I say that role has probably happened and it's helped you along your journey. And I say I've been privileged to be part of that, 
but uh, I need to let go and uh, I'll always be there to support, but uh, you need the right people to help you and you need the right team around you and you need uh, professionals when you take that, that next step in your, uh, in your career. Mm-hmm. And I will say as well, the practice round at Augusta, obviously I didn't make the cut, so we, we were able to have a, pra- uh, you know, a stress-free practice round, I guess, um, at Augusta. And you weren't, even if you wanted to, you weren't able to caddy unless you were caddying for me in the tournament. So I guess it kind of worked out either way. Yeah, no, it, it, it did, it did. Um, so, uh, yeah, maybe some other time at Augusta, maybe mm-hmm. some other time. Okay, um, and one final question that we got um, was, what was the shared funniest moment that we had when we maybe shouldn't have been laughing? Um, yeah, it's a tough one, because uh, you can't be laughing around golf. I think that the one thing that springs to mind, just having a think, um, if you remember at Muirfield, when we went for the AIG Women's Open, we turned down uh, a road which was specifically for players, the players' entrance. At the start, they had a huge sort of, I don't know, a 10-foot banner off the defending champion. Um, well, they had a whole row of them, like last champions in 10 years, right. yeah. There must, have, there must have been about 10 or 12 of these banners. You're driving down the road every every uh, 15, 20 yards, there's another one. You see these amazing players, you've seen them all. And then we came and the very last banner was there, um, happened to be someone. And we just looked at each other and burst out laughing because it was you <laughs> holding up your trophy uh, yeah. from the British. And, and the RNA were amazingly supportive and, and uh, encouraging of their amateur champion. And I remember just looking at you and we just burst out laughing, didn't we? Mm-hmm. And I think this is just so surreal. This can't, this can't be happening. There's all the, the greats of the female golfing world. And, 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 and there's Jess. Um, the, the very last one and uh yeah so i suppose that was the time when we really laughed um and and we really had a giggle didn't we yeah and that was on my birthday because that was um so the the id was the first week of august and my birthday was the last day in july and we drove up there we weren't we were going to go the next day but i'd been like incredibly poorly for the last three days because i had well we all had that stomach bug um and we ended up going up there and i was you know asleep for most of the time in the car and then we got there and and that was a a very nice memory yeah yeah it it was and i suppose that that's the uh that's the only time i could say we probably laughed that loud there's not many other occasions when i would say i'd laughed out loud because that wouldn't be Mm -hmm. appropriate would it now yeah i would say though when when we were at um the celebration of champions at St Andrews, like when we first got there, we were just absolutely gobsmacked with everything that was happening because this was maybe two weeks after I'd won, um, yeah. and we're thrown into the open and like as you say, we were next to um, Cam Smith who ended up winning, and then Rory was there just like wandering around. Matt Fitzpatrick was in the gym, and like I think there was just quite a few times we just had like a side eye to each other, and like no no laughs were had, but like it was just a a look. Do you, remember, do you remember being on the putting green at uh, next to the first tee in the old course of St Andrews and there was only you and one other person and that one other person was Bryson and the yeah. two of you were putting together and, and yeah, uh, yeah uh, we, we had that look of uh, OMG, what's happening here? Yeah. <laughs> well, I did yeah. think as well, maybe it, maybe it's not appropriate, but um, it made me think about the John Rahm story that you have, but maybe we can... Uh... What, what John Rahm story? In the locker room. <laughs> Oh, the John Rahm is that is that a, I, I, I went I went into I'd forgotten all about that I went into the, the locker room um, that all the players used uh, just to change my shoes I think and, and and popped the toilet and I happened just to sat sit down next to, to John John Ram who um, had just come out of the shower and only had a towel wrapped around him which he 
seemed to rather rapid rate uh, detail themselves, and, and, and there was me next to John Ram with not much on, and that was a that was a um, yeah a sight I probably won't forget. And I just really went to the locker room rather rapidly. And he had a rather large behind. I'm not. I, I, I'm, I'm not being quoted as having. <laughs> no comment. No comment. No comment. Okay. Um... Well, that's all of the Q and A questions. Unless you have anything else you want to add? No, I just, I just, um, I think from a, a caddy's perspective, as I say, there are bits I got wrong. A few bits I think I probably got right. I think we were, or we've been a really, really good team, uh, and and I'm, and I'm, I'm pri- I feel privileged that you wanted me on the bag and that we managed to make it work. Uh, and it's been an absolute blast. And I, I would just say to to anyone listening who is a young golfer who is going on this journey and probably more so from my perspective to the parents who are supporting that young golfer. Um, you know, it, it's hard. There's ups and downs and lefts and rights. Um, and it's a tough game. And, and I always find it really strange that you get into a sport where you very, very rarely win. And I think that's really, that's really the most bizarre thing about golf is it doesn't happen very often. Uh, and uh, you just got to enjoy those moments when, when, when they do come around and just, uh, you know, give, give your child all the love and support and just make sure they have fun because if they have fun, They'll practice harder, and as they practice harder, they'll get better. And 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 hopefully, there'll be others who can experience the most amazing year that we've uh, that we've done. And uh, yeah, I guess just a thank you to you for, as I say, uh, being patient enough to allow me on the bag. Oh, well, thanks to you for putting up with me. <laughs> well, let's not get too soppy on all this. So let's yeah. not get too soppy. But yeah, it's been a blast. So, um, and if people don't realise, I'm obviously in, in in Newcastle in the UK, and you're over in in Orlando. Yeah. And uh, that's how we're making technology work. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I hope people have enjoyed this and, and, and listened. And thank you for having me as your first guest. Yeah, of course. Um, well, thank you so much to everybody for listening. Um, let us know um, what you thought about the episode. As always, um, it's Jess Baker 21 underscore on Instagram and at Behind the Sunnies. Um, and thank you to my dad for joining. Um, and I will see you next time to find out what it's really like behind the sunnies. Thank you.